Well, good morning. It's good to be with each of you. We welcome those who are watching us on live stream as well. We're delighted to come together on Sunday, the day that belongs to the Lord, the day that we gather together to remember, the day we gather together to reflect, to fellowship, and to encourage each other. I'm glad to be back myself. Appreciate Jason filling in for me last week when I was sick a little bit. Gave me the opportunity to see how important it is to watch things on the live stream. And I really appreciate our guys, what they do up there in the booth. We don't talk about them very much, but they do a great service for us. We know there's a lot of our church family who's watching us right now on live stream, and that's very important for us. Jason told me this morning, he said, this, this will be a good sermon because you've had two weeks to think about it. I said, well, sometimes something's in the oven a little bit too long, it gets burnt, you know, that, that can happen just a little bit. So appreciate that, those lines in the song before the Lord's Supper, where it says, sweet the thought that the soul may be mended and whole. And sometimes we come that way, as was said this morning. Sometimes we come with things in our mind and our hearts. Sometimes we don't come pure and clean before the Lord. Sometimes we may feel like, I shouldn't be here today because of who I am or what I've done. But this is where you do belong. And this is where God wants you to be. And it's so gracious to have the opportunity to be together. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to the book of John. John chapter 20 is where we're going to start in just a minute. John chapter 20. It had been a very long week. Each day seemed like forever. There were so many questions that remained unanswered. There were so many things running through his mind. The room was filled with people that was trying to convince him. They were trying to change his mind. Very likely he'd gotten little sleep that entire week. He could not go on with his life until he knew. He had to know. He had to be sure. And that's kind of the backdrop of John chapter 20 as we think about doubting Thomas as we know him. In verse 6, 26 of this chapter, it says, After eight days again, his disciples were inside, and Thomas with them. What happened before this occasion is that Thomas was not there. And in verse 25, the text says, The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into the side, I will not believe. Now, eight days have passed. And where's Thomas? We find him with the apostles. We don't find him in the bar drinking. We don't find him Googling why Jesus is not the Lord. We don't find him hanging around skeptics and doubters. We don't find him going home, going back to his old job. He's in the room with the apostles. Questions are okay. Doubts are okay. But what do you do with them? Thomas was among those people. Verse 27 of your context, Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, here I am. Put your hands in my side. From the context, there's no indication that Thomas actually touched Jesus. But what we find in the following verse, in verse 28... Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And literally what this means is, the Lord of me, the God of me. That's what Thomas was pronouncing there. We began this year talking about our theme. Our theme this year is, I am his and he is mine. A couple of weeks ago, Jason preached the front part of this, the I am his part. What does it mean that I am his? 
Today I want to talk about the second part of that expression. He is mine. He is mine. The God of me. What do we mean by that expression? That he is mine. What is that supposed to involve as we consider that concept and the idea? We see that Jesus can be the Lord of heaven and earth. He can be the Lord of the nation. He can be the Lord of this church. But until he is mine, my life will never change. My life will never be as it should be. This expression is built upon a relationship. That's how it begins. Multiple times I've stood before a crowd like this, a young man on one side, a young lady on the other side. They say their vows. And what she's doing is changing her life. She's giving up her last name that she's born with to take the name of this young man she's marrying. She's changing her home. She's changing her residence. What she's doing is she's changing her relationship. I am now yours, and you are now mine. The Gospel of John, Jesus described it this way in John chapter 15. Abide in me, he says, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. You notice that dual relationship? It's not that I am his, he's also mine. We sometimes study the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Here we're seeing the indwelling of Jesus. Where is, where is Jesus? Well, he's in heaven. Yes, where else is Jesus? Well, he's in this room where two or three are gathered together. Yes, he is. Where else is Jesus? He's in me if I abide in him. He would later say in John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. Then he'd say a few verses later, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. I am his, and he is mine. Not only is it a relationship, but it also describes a fellowship, a partnership, we might say. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, the last chapter of Hebrews. And notice how this concept is, is established here for us. Hebrews chapter 13, and begin at verse 20. It says, Now the God of peace, who brought us up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the external covenant, even Jesus Christ equipped you in every good work, every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in the sight. God doesn't say work by yourself, work just as a church. We're partnering together. We are fellowshipping together. We are working together. And how interesting so many of our hymns express this idea that I am his and he is mine. Just a look at the list here. Hand in hand with Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my king. You are my strength. Over and over, so many of our hymn writers got this idea that there's a relationship. It's not just that God is mine, but I am his. And together, we have this concept that God wants us to have. This is a theme that's found throughout the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Again, he is mine. He would say in chapter 56, in God I put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And I just do a little modern translation of that if you want to. 
What can coronavirus do to me? What can the government do to me? What can my enemies do to me? If I have trust in God, there's nothing else I fear. Psalms 18, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Look at all those expressive words. Who is God? He's not just the Lord of heaven and earth. He is mine and I am his. Chapter 62, verse 2. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. Chapter 39. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in thee. What the psalmist did several times was give us examples. For instance, in chapter 44. For I do not trust in the bow. He's talking about the bow and arrow. Be like a warrior. Be like a soldier today. I don't trust in my gun. That's not what's going to get me through. It's not my shield. It's not my armor. Nor will my sword save me. But thou hast saved us from our adversaries. Thou hast put to shame those who hate us. His trust is in God. He would say in chapter 33, a horse is false hope for victory. You know, a horse can run. A horse can fall down dead. His hope is not in his horse, it's not in his sword, it's not in his bow. His hope was in God. And so when we get this idea, the God of me, we're talking about something that God wants us to have, this relationship that's built upon him. Now, if you will, take your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 10. And I think a few places really illustrate this so well. John chapter 10. As we think of this wonderful concept that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Let's read these 12 verses, and we'll point out just a few highlights from John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what, th what those things were which he had been saying to them. Jesus therefore said to them, verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and may have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatter, scatters them. And from that we know some things he says here. He says, first of all, I know. I know my sheep. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Jesus knows you. He knows your story. He knows your situation. He knows your sin. He knows your needs. He calls us. He calls us to follow him. And the way he calls us is through the Bible. He doesn't call us by a voice in the, in, that you hear. It's not some feeling in your heart. It's through the word of God. All of us are called the same way. We're called by the gospel. 
to follow Jesus. And Jesus leads us. He knows the way. And then Jesus lays down his life for us. That's what we need to see. Now imagine, in our typical Midwest neighborhoods, imagine one day one of you ladies is cooking, and you're trying a new recipe, and you're just kind of bumfounded. You're not sure what to do with this. You're not sure if it's going to taste right or something. And living right next door to you, your next door neighbor happens to be one of these killer chefs on the cooking channel. Do you think you go next door and say, hey, can you help me? Imagine it's a Saturday, and one of you guys are trying to change a light fixture, and you get up there and it gets a little more complicated than, than what you thought was going to be. But living right next door is one of these guys on the Home Improvement Channel, and he can just do everything in 30 minutes. Do you think you would use him? Imagine you're going to get the family together at the holidays, and you're going to take some family portraits. But the next door neighbor happens to be an award-winning photographer for National Geographic. You think, hey, would you come over and help me? Now, today, we don't go to our neighbors. Today, we have something called YouTube. And we YouTube everything. You don't know how to change light fixture? Go on YouTube. It'll show you how to do it. Washing machine's not working? Go to YouTube. It'll tell you how to do it. We YouTube everything. YouTube is the next door neighbor who knows everything except one thing, how to help us get right with God. You got your Bible? Look with me in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Here, as Peter was preaching, he reminded us. He says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. It is God, as we said earlier, who knows you. And it is God who has made you just the way you are. And it is God who stands upon history and centuries of victories. We could talk about the parting of the sea, the closing of the lion's mouth. We could talk about rescuing from prison. God has had victory after victory after victory. And it is God who longs for you to be with him. That's who God is. And that's the idea we need to see. And so when we think about this idea of I am his and he is mine, we need to see that the Bible's not about rules. It's not about having just a good life, a good time, being a good neighbor. It's the idea of this relationship God wants us to have with him. And it begins with I am his. Jesus said in John chapter 6, excuse me, Luke chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. See, everybody wants God to be theirs. I want God to be there when I call on him for a prayer. When I'm in trouble, I want God to be there. I want God in my back pocket. I always want God there. What bully is there to fear when God's in center right behind me? What storm is there to fear when God's in my boat? I want God with me, but am I his? And that's how this expression begins. If I'm not his then he's not mine. And we have to see that. We have to see the importance of following God, doing what God says, and obeying him. This is how the Apostle Paul saw it. In the book of Colossians, in chapter 3, he said, Christ is our life. He would say in Galatians chapter 2, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
I am his. Because I am his, he is mine. I can't switch that around. I can't say he is mine. Maybe down the road I'll be his. It is I am his first and then he is mine. In Philippians, he put it this way. Although I might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal persecuted the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. If we took that out and put in modern terms, if he was a football player, he'd be the number one draft pick. If he was a singer, I got the top 40 hit right now. If he's an actor, I got an Oscar. That's why Paul's saying, I had it. But when that verse continues on, this is what he says. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. I don't stand upon my degrees. I don't stand upon my accomplishments. I don't stand upon who I am. It's who he is that makes the difference. More than that, the verse says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them all rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I am his, is what Paul is emphasizing. And so because of that, you are never, ever alone. Why? Because I have God. There's times in your life where, especially as a parent, your child has to do some things that are alone, and you want to be there. Remember when all four of my kids took their driving test, I so much wanted to sit in the back seat there and just say, remember, 10 to 2, 10 to 2, you know. But you can't do that. You've had somebody go into surgery, and how much you would like to go with them and just hold their hand. It will be okay, you say, but you can't do that. There are times in our lives that we feel alone physically. Think about Paul in that prison. You think about Daniel in that lion's den. You think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace. But they were not alone. They had God. What does it mean that he is mine? What does it mean that the God of me, it means that I am never, ever alone. No matter what I go through, I have God. Secondly, I am never unloved. Sometimes life can be hard. Sometimes where you work, where you go to school, sometimes society, you just feel like everybody's your enemy. It's kind of like wearing a Purdue jersey and IU game, you know? You just feel like, come on, come on. And, and, and it's that idea. You think everyone's looking at you, everyone's against me, but you are never unloved because you have God. Also, you're never without help. Again, sometimes in life, we go up to somebody, we explain our situation, and they don't understand it. They've never had to bury a child. They've never gone through a divorce. They've never lost a job because they stood up for what was right. And, and maybe no one else understands. God does. And God can help us. And not only that, I am never without an example of what I should do. What is it I should do? God has given me a whole book full of examples. Great men and women of God who stood and did what was right. Men of faith. Hebrews 11, just one chapter, by faith Moses, by faith Abraham, by faith they walked. And we need to see that there's never a situation where I say, well, you know what, I just don't know what to do. I need to look in my Bible. And I'm never without anyone who doesn't understand. 
Why? Because I have God. And so when we look at this, we see that it is God who has shaped our lives. It's God who's defined our purpose. It's God who's forgiven us. It's God who's blessed us. I am his and he is mine. So when I've been in the pig pen of sin, he's the way home to clean and better life. We've made mistakes. We've said things we should have never said. We've been places we should have never been. And how do we get out of that? He is mine. The God of me is there to help me. And when I'm in the fiery furnace of trouble, he is my deliverer. What is it I should do? He is mine, the God of me. And when I'm in the corner and I'm out of ideas and the Egyptians are closing in just as they did to ancient Israel and Moses, he is my direction. I need to follow God. And when I'm at the end of my life, he sends his angels for me. Why? Because he is mine and I am his. Now, before we wrap this up, Let's just put some stuff on this. There's a lot of us who've been through a lot of stuff. The last three or four years has been tough for a lot of us. Tough financially, tough emotionally, tough physically, tough in just a lot of ways, tough spiritually. Have you prayed about it? And why not? Again, it's like having that next door neighbor, and that next door neighbor is an expert. Why don't I go over and ask him? I got help. Why don't I pray to God? That's a fair question to ask. Have I prayed about what bothers me? Have I prayed about my situation? Have I prayed about my sin? Why not? He is mine, and I am his. Have you searched his word about the situation? Have you looked at the Bible and saw what the Bible taught about these things? And, and, and as you're going through things and you got challenges and as a parent or as a grandparent, you're trying to raise those kids and, and you're trying to make right decisions. Have you looked at God's word? There's help right next door. Why don't you go there? You see, sometimes we want to figure things out ourselves and it doesn't work out. Sometimes we think I got this and we don't have this. Sometimes we think I know, but really we don't know. And God is there. He is mine because, first of all, I am his. Have you honored him in worship? It's one thing to come to church on Sunday. It's something else to worship him. And let me say this real kindly. For our guys up in the booth who are pushing all the buttons to make it possible, you need to worship God. For our guys out in the auditorium here, outside in the lobby out here who are protecting us, you need to worship God. We come to worship God. You may have a duty that calls you to do this or do that, but you need to worship God. Have I worship God? I want him to be there for him. I want him to answer my prayers. I want him to help me. And he's saying, when are you going to worship me? You've been to church a whole bunch, but when have you worshiped me? Right next door. Do I do it? Have I walked with him? Have I realized that it's his steps that lead to righteousness? It is his way that is always right. And have I trusted him? Have I trusted him as I've gone through life? You see, God's not a spare tire as you bring out just an emergency. I dare say most of us haven't looked at a spare tire unless you had a flat this past week. It's there. We know it's there. And if we need it, we'll pull it out. That's how some view God. 
not us. And the reason is because I am his and he is mine. Every day, every choice, every moment, every word, every attitude passes through this little filter. I am his and he is mine. What's interesting about the book of John is how it begins and how it ends. It begins with Nathaniel finding Jesus. And in chapter 1 of the book of John, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Notice how big that is, the king of Israel. But the book of John ends by Thomas saying, you are my Lord and my God. It's one thing that God is the God of the country, but is he your God? He is mine, and I am his. That's the concept. And throughout this year, we're going to be building and building and building upon this idea. It begins with you belong to him. But from that, he abides in you. That relationship. And when you have that relationship, it helps your choices. It helps you as you walk through life. It becomes what God wants you to become. This morning, maybe one among us needs to think about this. Maybe you can say, I've always needed God when I needed him, but the rest of the time I just put him on the shelf and didn't think about him. Do you realize that you are his? He wants to use you for his kingdom. He wants to use you in righteousness. He's counting on you to be the example of where you work. He's counting on you to be the example of where you go to school. In your family, you may be the only one, and God is looking to you. I am his. And he is mine, the God of me. If we can help you in any way, won't you come as we stand, as we sing?